Today's episode of Locked on Wild is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You are Locked on Wild, your Minnesota Wild every day here on the Locked on Podcast Network. It's your host, Joe Bully of 10krings.com, and with me is Tony Abbott, also of 10krings.com. Tony, how are you doing today? Joe, this podcast has passed the 11-second mark. It is over. Ah, funny and painful. Ouch. Uh, we also are joined by special guest uh, Justin Morissette from Locked on Canucks. And Sportsnet 6:50 a.m. Justin, uh, you know it was a jagged little pill for us to swallow last night. <laughs> I'm sure you get that all, all the time. Uh, not, I mean, not that one exactly, but uh, I do appreciate the effort. No, uh, yeah, I, I can imagine it would be a, a bit frustrating to sit through that intermission and then have it all uh, end in 11 seconds. A, a goal that I think. Most people didn't even see because you probably weren't even back from grabbing yourself a, a refreshment from the from the fridge, as it were. You know, like <laughs> people are just you know, taking a bathroom break even and come back and the game is over and everybody's in the handshake line. So, yeah, yeah uh, you know, I can't complain on my end, but I can imagine that one would be a, a bit tough for you guys. I, I will say I was definitely pissed off about uh, waiting through that intermission and then getting nothing in terms of extra hockey back. Well, and I'm not necessarily upset that the wild lost. I'm just upset that it was 11 seconds. Like, come <laughs> on. Like we waited four months for this garbage and, and we get nothing for like real overtime hockey. It, it was a little upsetting about that. And, and I know when Tony was like, Hey, uh, we're going to record later tomorrow. Right. I said, yeah, I'm pissed. This is bull. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess I guess where I was at on that was just, um, hmm. I, I wasn't even so much mad that it was over right away, but just like I, I, I'm glad that um, the series got ended um, last night. Just uh, just because one, I did not want to have to be up on a Sunday night at 9:45 Central uh, to uh, to cover another game, and then two, just like. Oh no! I, I thought the Wild looked really good in Game One, and then in uh, in Games Two and Three, uh, I, I think they uh, they really showed a lot of their flaws by basically losing two games in the exact same way, uh, twice. Mm. And then last night, I was just kind of like, you know what? Like, I don't think that they have you know what it takes to to go on any sort of deep run after seeing those two games. And I think they did play a really interesting game. I think they. Uh, I, I think it was a good game, at least in in, in terms of entertainment uh, value, uh, last night. But uh, yeah, I, I I at that point I was just like, you know, it sucks to to only be here for four games and be out. But at the same time, like this team, this team doesn't have it. You might as well just pull the plug on them now. I'd agree. Uh, now the Wild are out, and uh, they've got a real, you know. I don't know about real, 
because uh, it's 87.5% the other way, but 12.5% uh, to uh, to win the first overall pick in the second phase of the NHL lot, uh, draft lottery. And uh, they also, I believe if you said that correct, and, it, and everything's been hammered out now, they are at least guaranteed the ninth spot. So the Wild do get a top 10 pick with that loss last night. It's not a bad consolation prize. I'm not going to lie. The, like, that was like in the back of my head for uh, for pretty much the entire game last night. Um, but uh, let's, because uh, we, we'll talk about that, uh, the uh, the draft lottery stuff for uh, for Monday's episode. Uh, so you can hear that before the draft lottery and we can give that the uh, proper amount of time and attention <laughs> that it goes. But uh, what about last night, Joe? Like it was, uh, it was a pretty good game, like except for the, uh, the ending. <laughs> Well, it was actually nice to watch because it wasn't a a game that was completely chopped up by the amount of penalties. Just uh, an outrageous number of penalties in this series and in the play-ins in general, I've found. You know, uh, watching a lot of the series, especially like game one of Pittsburgh and Montreal, they're just handing out penalty shots like candy, basically. I, uh, you know, uh, if, if I'm a Wild fan today trying to assess what my team is and what needs to change in the future going forward after this series i have no idea because not only was this a kind of uh, unprecedented thing in the first place coming back off of a um, you know a global pandemic and and not everybody having the the same momentum necessarily that they did before the stoppage but also you know that wasn't the way that the game is called in the regular season or the playoffs, there were times where you would have to go all the way back to the return from the lockout 05-06 to find that degree of penalties being called within a game and that number of power plays for both teams. I found it completely ridiculous. I don't really even remember watching games from 2005-2006, but if they were like that, they were just unwatchable. <laughs> Well, the, the league tried to inflate scoring by just inflating the number of power play opportunities that teams got coming out of that lockout. And so you would see, you know, the same degree of, if you look at the score sheet, just penalty, 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 penalty for both teams all the way down. So uh, it, it felt like a throwback, but in a, in a not great way to me. Whereas, like, for example, game four felt like a throwback to 80s hockey, where whichever goalie makes the last save... It's the goalie that's going to win the game. Uh, and I guess that's kind of what we did see uh, with uh, the first shot of overtime uh, beating Alex Daylock. Uh, speaking of Alex Daylock, he was also very upset. He echoed kind of what you are saying about the penalties in that uh, it certainly didn't feel like playoff hockey. And I, I've also heard that echoed uh, from a number of different people that it almost felt like a preseason game where preseason almost tries to overcompensate and kind of set the expectations on what penalties are going to be the concentration for that year. Uh, remember it was stick infractions and there was high sticking. Then there was obstruction was another year and it just felt like they're going to call everything just to kind of lay down the law so that they can, can keep control. But it definitely did not feel like either a regular season game or a, um, a playoff game. So I will echo that. And Alex Daylock certainly was not happy with that in post game. He, he looked red in the face and just pissed off. Well, I'm curious what you guys think of Tyler Myers after this series, because Vancouver is a market seems decidedly split. There are some people who look at the fact that this guy took, I believe nine minor penalties over nine the course penalties. of the series. 
nine penalties in four games and think that is just outrageous lack of discipline and that how can you not make an adjustment in the way that you're playing when you know that the refs are going to call you because you've already been called eight times before. (laughs) Uh, Whereas there's another sect of this market that looks at the way he played and thinks that is playoff hockey. That's the level of physicality that should be acceptable in the playoffs and that a lot of those penalties are ticky-tack calls that you're not going to see next week when the actual playoffs begin. So as somebody who uh, was on the opposite side watching him impose his physical will on your players, what do you think about Tyler Myers after this four-game series? I could not believe that in, like, the last five... Like, I'm not even, like, I you know, like... As, as a Wild fan, I'm feeling nervous for the Canucks every time they throw Tyler Myers over the board. I'm just like, what are you guys doing here? Because, um, you know, like, obviously, like, Tyler Myers has, like, a reputation for, uh, for, uh, for uh, like-minded individuals in terms of, uh, you know, the value of um, not being in your own end all the time. So, um, like, I, I think we're, we're, we're going to be in agreement here on Tyler Myers. Um, but, like, I, I did not think that he brought that much to the, the uh, Canucks, even, like, in terms of, you know, physicality or, like, uh, like because, you know, if you're, if you're sneaky, right? Like, uh, someone like uh, Zach Parise, who, uh, who is known around the league as a little bit of a, a slash artist, right? Like, that's a guy who can, you know, be uh, physically annoying, even if it's, you know, with the stick and maybe not his body so much. Um, but, you know, like, you can have that element and stay out of the box. Whereas Tyler Myers, I, I feel like so many of his things, like, you know, you could call some of them ticky-tack and, and, and say, like, it, you know, if the referees are in the mind to, like, let them play, right? Then, but some of them were well earned, also. Yeah, yeah. Like some of them were, some of them were very obvious. And then just like, I, I don't think that he was very good with, uh, with the puck either. Um, I'm looking at uh, the the leaders and giveaways for the team, and like giveaways aren't always like a great stat to look at because you know if you have the puck a lot and you're taking a lot of chances, then you know your giveaways are going to be part of the equation, but Tyler yeah, Myers, Sidney Crosby and Pavel Datsuk used to routinely lead the league in giveaways, but they would also lead it in takeaways because they just had the puck all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like uh, Tyler Myers does not do like say Quinn Hughes things, but gave away the puck as often as Quinn Hughes did. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not a, I'm not a Tyler Myers guy, I guess is, is if you're asking me. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's funny because, uh, you know, there were people in this market and media who were like, if you ignore the penalties, like, by the numbers, he's having a great series. And it's like, nah, look you... at his splits with and without Quinn Hughes. And he doesn't play with Quinn Hughes that often. So with Quinn Hughes, sure, he's having a great series. Without Quinn Hughes, he was outchanced something like 17 to 2. So not, not great. Not the best. Or the penalties, though. That's part of the equation, is it not? I mean, if you are constantly putting your team shorthanded, that's got to enter the equation. That's not good. Well, and the fact it's, of the matter it's, is, it's, it's, like, it's easier to do when your team's going over 13 in power. I, I suppose, yeah. I guess the big thing, too, is I don't feel like Tyler Myers was out there running around and being a physical presence, really, to be honest. I thought it was a lot of stupid ticky tech uh, stick infractions that. Even the wild, 
in coaching and everybody, if you watch any of the post games, they're like, yeah, they're calling it by the book. It's a little annoying that they're calling it by the book, but we got to adjust. And it, was, and it was the same for both teams, you know? Yeah, it was the same for both teams. I didn't think that the penalties were called egregiously in one way or the other. It was just like a stupid, it was stupid annoying how many they just kept calling them. I will say early in the series, it really bothered me that it seemed like, you know, the Wild could just get away with assaulting Elias Pettersson all over the ice. Uh, but like Joel Erickson Eck would get like superstar level penalties, you know, like <laughs> they were any infraction against Joel Erickson Eck. It's like, well, you can't touch that guy. Head to the box now. It's like, God, oh, maybe you're protecting the wrong guy here just a little bit. But you know what? Petey had to toughen up and, and uh, fend for himself. And well, he impressed a lot of people, and myself included. And I think Vancouver saw which way the wind was blowing and decided, well, okay, we'll start doing wrestling moves on Kevin Fiala. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> so That's the greatest thing Brandon Sutter has ever done in a Canucks uniform. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a penalty that was called by or on Jordan Greenway for kind of a, an after the whistle shoving match with Pedersen. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't like a shove or like a face wash or really anything except that Jordan Greenway towers over Pedersen. And it was like, Oh, so he's just getting the two minutes because the refs didn't actually see what happened. Well, the, Jordan funniest, Greenway penalty is just was, the funniest penalty was in game four last night when I think it was Fiala who just well, absolutely scared. bailed on a rush entering the zone and as he went down, Alex Edler tripped over his sliding body, which was not a tripping infraction. He did not, like, put his stick out to bring him down. Edler just tripped over a guy who fell, and they called Fiala, I believe, for tripping, which yeah. took the Wild off a of power play, if I'm not mistaken. So just insane calls all over the place, and I really hope this gets under control as we head into the, uh, the actual uh, rounds, not the qualifiers, but the playoffs proper. Tyler Myers better hope so. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's the record for most minor league or minor uh, minor penalties taken in a series? I gotta wonder. In a, well, in a four game series, it probably is not. <laughs> we'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first, I do want to talk to you about auto parts and RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts for customers online for the last twenty years. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil and even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, they got everything you need in just a few easy clicks and it's always easily delivered to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is gigantic and remarkably easy to navigate. Search for your make, model, and your year of your vehicle and it's there within a snap. Super easy to use. And the best thing about RockAuto.com is their one-tier pricing. You know that if you go into a chain store that there's a secondary deal going on behind the back door from the local mechanic that's getting the deal and you're getting passed up that markup. Well, rockauto.com, that's not happening. Rockauto.com is that simple one-tier pricing and they're not passing any markup up to you as the consumer. Whether you are the professional or you're the do-it-yourselfer, you know that you're not getting screwed out of any extra money and paying more than you should. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you're there, make sure you type in locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. rockauto.com, it's amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com 
the Minnesota Wild did fall in game four by a score of five to four, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, right. five four yeah. overtime. Uh, and I actually called it. I said the, the Minnesota Wild are going to get Minnesota Wild against California, uh, Colorado uh, by the Canucks, aren't they? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, in the 2014 Western Conference quarterfinals, the Minnesota Wild came back, I think, four times to force overtime and eventually scored in overtime to win that series in Game 7. And that's kind of what the Canucks did to the Wild this time around, where the Wild stormed out to that lead, and the Canucks just kept coming coming back and coming back. Finally, they forced overtime late, and then, of course, uh, in a blink of an eye in overtime, they end up winning the series. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt like exercising the demons of, of 2003, honestly. Uh, and obviously, we didn't get to a, a fifth and deciding game to really heighten the drama on that front. But I did have a lot of memories of that series and that year, if only because Jacob Markstrom looked so rattled in game four. And maybe that's just the product of playing two games in about 30 hours or <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, Mar- you know, I don't know. It's kind of the curse of Vancouver as a goaltending market is that even when we have the greatest goalie in the world in Roberto Luongo, he still is prone to just mental meltdowns come playoff time. Uh, and obviously everybody just immediately jumps to Dan Cloutier in that regard. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking a little bit about Dan Cloutier <laughs> last night and, uh, and just, you know, uh, guys, the random players that I hate from Minnesota uh, putting the team up. But th- this time, fortunately, the Canucks were able to to fight back a little bit and hang in there. In fairness to that 2003 team, they also took a 3-1 series lead at one point. That's, that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> um, I, I guess a player that really, uh, really impressed me last night uh, from uh, Vancouver's side was, uh, was Tanner Pearson. Um, scored yeah. the opening goal for uh, for Vancouver, and then made a, a real nice behind the net feed uh, to uh, to Bo Horvat to tie the game. Just uh, involved in, in uh, both uh, of these uh, these huge massive goals for Vancouver uh, that uh, that put them back in the game when uh, when Minnesota would have had a chance to uh, to punch them out. And uh, just uh, what a nice player! Like he. Uh, he also had the opening goal, I think, in, in game two that got uh, Vancouver off the schneid uh, after getting shut out in uh, in game one. So like, I, correct? I, yeah, very early in that first period. In my Three, estimation, like Tanner Pearson was involved in in three of the biggest goals of the series. Uh, yeah, he's a guy that I have been a big booster of on Locked On Canucks all season long. In my opinion, he really was the team's unsung hero this season, uh, which was a, a team award. They let the fans vote on these things, so ultimately they don't mean anything. But they gave the unsung hero award this year for the Canucks to JT Miller, who I think is a very sung <laughs> hero. Uh, but regardless... Tanner Pearson is the guy who, you know, I had to listen to fans and podcasters and broadcasters alike this year talk about how this guy is probably more suited for a, you know, a, a fourth line role on a good team than being uh, the number six forward of, of whatever the Canucks are right now. I have looked at this guy all along, and I talked to you last week about it, Tony. This yep. is a guy who was on pace to put up about 63 points this season, uh, which is first line production that puts him in the top 90 scores in the league last year anyways and uh you know is fringe first line production and when you're getting that from your sixth forward or sometimes seventh forward if tyler Toffoli is available to this team 
Uh, you know, th I think you cannot complain about that. That's pretty fantastic. So, uh, and he came up huge. And look, there have been moments this year even. The Canucks went into Edmonton and played against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and the best player on the ice for either team was Tanner Pearson. He carried that team to a victory on that night. And I know it's just one night, but if he can do that against the Oilers, he can do that in the playoffs as well. And we saw it a few times in this series. I really, really liked what I saw from him. One of the uh, the big questions, obviously, heading into this series was goaltending uh, on the Minnesota Wild side and kind of how that matchup was going to work out. Um, I thought Markstrom, especially in games two and three, was as advertised. He was extremely calm, cool, collected, played very strong in net, uh, made the, the save, you know, the timely save that he needed to. He also made just the simple save that came his way. And not to say that the Wild, I think, challenged him all that much, but... Uh, Heading now into the, I guess, the playoffs for real against uh, whoever it may be at this point. After seeing some of the, the three short side goals that were scored on game four by the Minnesota Wild, do you have a pause or at least maybe a little worry that there might be a little crack in that armor uh, for uh, for Mark Schirmer? Do you think that, hey, it was just one game, he's he's been doing this all year, and he can, uh, he can move past that and still be, uh, again, as advertised? Um. It's tough to say, you know, when we were doing our serious predictions before this started last week, I did go with the Canucks, but I went Canucks in five. And I also thought that the series could have gone the other way as well. And the main reason for that is, you know, I worried that Markstrom might be the October version of himself who does take a little bit of time to find his legs and find that rhythm. Typically, he clicks into gear midway through November and then just goes on this incredible run. Uh, and you don't really have time for that right now. You know, that's kind of the the issue. That's why we've seen Edmonton get knocked out. That's why we've seen Pittsburgh get knocked out. That's why we almost saw Toronto get knocked out yesterday, and they still might tomorrow. We don't know yet, you know. Um, there's not a lot of time to find your rhythm and find your feet. And I have a lot of faith in Jacob Markstrom. I think he's earned that faith over the course of the last two seasons, especially this year uh, with what he battled through and his personal situation with his father passing away from cancer midway through this season and, you know, having to go back to Sweden for the funeral and come back and still, you know, returning off of a, a transcontinental flight and putting up, an unreal performance uh, during an East Coast road trip earlier in the year against the New York Rangers. Um, you know, he he's really earned the benefit of the doubt, I think. And like I said earlier, it's tough to say what was going on with him yesterday, uh, whether that was just kind of mental jitters of being in the postseason um, and kind of coming off of the high of picking up your first postseason shutout at that. Or just the fact that it was a back-to-back -back situation. And ordinarily, you're not ever going to see that in the playoffs. I understand that the league wanted to get these games out of the way as quick as possible so that we can move on to the actual elimination rounds here. But, uh, you know, I, I really think that they did make a mistake by having teams play back-to-back -back games mm -hmm. in a so-called uh, playoff situ situation. It's just not fair to Especially the goaltenders in particular. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, uh, so, you know, I have some concerns, I guess, but the Canucks are also fortunate in that Thatcher Demko is also a guy that I have a lot of faith in. So if things do go wrong, you know, ultimately you're only going to go as far as Jacob Markstrom takes you, I think. That's the horse that's brung you this far. You may as well keep riding him. Uh, but uh, there are options if things definitely go sideways uh, as this thing rolls along. Tony, I know you have a question, uh, but I want to just piggyback real quick up on Markstrom. He is a... Um 
a free agent following this season. Do you think that Vancouver brings him back? I do, yeah. I really think, especially with the year that he had this year, how pivotal he has been to their success. I don't know if he gets the deal that he would have wanted in ordinary circumstances if we were not looking at a flat cap in a league that has been just hammered by you know financial losses due to uh, the COVID situation. Um, you know, he probably could have cashed in huge, and maybe there still are teams out there who are looking for his services that will be willing to pay big dollars for it. But the Canucks are probably going to shell out to keep him too. And I would be shocked if he is allowed to walk. The only interesting wrinkle I could see in this is if they go big on a short-term deal, maybe, which allows them to get up to the expansion draft without being, uh, without feeling like they are going to lose one of their key goalies, even though you probably have to make a decision whether the guy is Markstrom or Demko long-term going forward in the years before that draft anyway. Justin, I, I just wanted to, uh, to ask you, about uh, what 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 did you because what I from what I saw from what uh, the series you know I was focusing a lot on the Minnesota end I was writing articles at 10krings.com about Minnesota so I was very Minnesota focused in my viewings uh, and probably didn't get too much past like maybe surface levely observations of the Canucks what adjustments did you see after game one that allowed Vancouver to uh, to roar back and take three straight from Minnesota um. You know, it's it's tough to pinpoint all of them, but I do think uh, the Canucks were trying to be too cute in game one. They were looking for the perfect offensive opportunity. They were looking for the perfect play with the perfect shot on an empty net. And when you are playing against a team that is as smothering as Minnesota is, against a goalie who, you know, quite frankly, I thought Alex Stalock was very good in this series, even if he had some moments where that might not have been the case or uh, some games perhaps where he wasn't on his game. Heck, Jacob Markstrom had a couple of those as well, you know. Um, but by and large, that what it felt like in game one that they needed to do that because they didn't have a ton of clean breaks and, and great opportunities. They were maybe holding out for the perfect ones. I felt like as the series went along, they became more willing to shoot from anywhere. Uh, that's certainly kind of what translated into the goals for Tanner Pearson when we were talking about the success that he had. The goal that he scored to open the scoring in Game 2, he just walked right in and ripped a shot. Not from a perfect spot, not from an unbeatable or an unmissable angle. Just a good, hard shot. And if you get more of those towards the net and you have people in position to jump on them, good things are going to happen. You know, we saw, especially the goal that he scored in game three on the power play, Brock Besser play a kind of, I don't want to say power forward role, but certainly a willingness to put himself in those hard areas that we do not tend to see from Brock. The power play goal that he scored in game three comes from a position that he has basically never occupied on the Canucks power play before and it's a hard spot to put yourself but when you're in the playoffs you have to do those things and that's exactly what he did so you know the the team got challenged real hard I feel like in game one Minnesota was out to beat them up and basically make things as hard as possible in every single moment of that game and mm. instead of letting that physicality grind them down and wear them down and make them want to quit you activated the beast in some of these guys. Uh, you awoke the the demon, as it were. You know, I have never seen that kind of toughness from Elias Pettersson before. Uh, you know, the exactly what I was just saying about Brock Besser being willing to to sacrifice the body and play in hard areas that we haven't seen before. These guys really. Uh, 
took their game to another level and were able to battle through, I think, pretty tough conditions because whether it was Greenway or Hartman or uh, Erickson Eck, this was a team that made things very difficult for the Canucks offense to do the things that it wanted to do. And I felt personally, looking at the Wild, that this series was a big-time coming-out party for Joel Erickson Eck, who I think is just tremendous. Okay. Um, you could say that the Minnesota Wild released the Kraken. Oh, sure, yeah, why not? <laughs> Um, it, it is really cool to, um, it is really cool to have, uh, have your, uh, your young star players kind of get the memo about what it takes to, to win the playoffs after one game. Well, and, how, uh, I thought Quinn Hughes was the best player in this series for the entire series in every single game. The only reason that this series is over right now, because the Canucks very easily could have buckled with the goals that Jacob Markstrom was giving up in game four. Quinn Hughes threw this team on his back last night and was not going to let that happen. He was outstanding in every single game, even game one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was tremendous, and uh, and and I don't know. You've, you've got a good one for the uh, for the next uh, for the next you know seven, year. ten, fifteen years. Uh, he, whether he wins the uh, whether he wins the Calder or not, um, just a, just an absolutely great player. I do want to uh, I do want to follow up a little bit on on what you said about Erickson Eck because um, we talked about it just a tiny bit before we started the show, but there is a lot of consternation in Minnesota because, uh, as you may know, uh, the Minnesota Wild passed on Brock Besser, hometown goal scorer. Uh, to uh, to scoop up Erickson Eck with the 20th pick in the 2015 draft. Um, we have uh, defended the pick to a degree here on Lockdown Wild, but I think that uh, that um, I, I know that you had a lot of praise for him, and I, I think maybe it might resonate a little bit more coming from somebody out of the market. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you right now, I think I know who Travis Green would rather have on his team. And that's no knock on Brock, though, for whatever reason, Travis just finds himself not wanting to trust Besser every season. Like it was a talking point on Locked on Canucks earlier in the week that we know that internally the team rates Tyler Toffoli higher than Brock Besser, which is insane to me because you've had Brock Besser for three years now and you've had Toffoli for two weeks, basically. Um, You know, there should be a longer sample size that would lead to a longer leash. But for whatever reason... Uh, you know, Brock's been a little bit snake bit this year. He's been a little bit unlucky, even though I think he's doing things uh, that he hasn't done before. He's playing a more complete game. He's being a 200-foot player that you can trust in every situation. He's making his line mates better on every line that he plays on. He's a fantastic player. But Joel Eriksson Ek is the exact prototype of the player that Travis Green has been looking for since he became the coach of this team. You know, the reason that this team went out and acquired Jay Beagle, even when they already had Brandon Sutter, is because that is the type of player that Travis Green just salivates over. And I know that he was watching this guy be all over the ice, just smothering his team's best offensive players in every situation, and just saying, you know, Jim, take a look. This is what I want, you know? Uh, (laughs) That's the exact player. If Travis Green had his way, he would be icing 12 Joel Erickson Exonite. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, maybe they wouldn't score too many goals if uh, if they were icing twelve Joel Erickson X. But uh, give Erickson X a lot of credit for uh, he he came up with some pretty good uh, some pretty good chances throughout the series offensively, and he only cashed in on uh, the one. But the one that he did cash on 
was the uh, was uh, I, I mean the biggest goal of his career certainly, but uh, just a huge goal uh, in in the game that uh, put Minnesota up three to one, and you know under under very different circumstances, right where uh, where Vancouver can't complete that comeback, like that is uh that is maybe the uh, the game or that that's maybe the goal that uh, that people remember as a turning point if Minnesota pulls the series off. And it really felt like they were going to. I don't know. Like, I came in with confidence having watched the Canucks win games two and three. But I really felt like Minnesota was going to take game four. And then game five is is a coin toss. Like, I really don't think that Wild fans should be coming out of this feeling too down on their team. Kevin Fiala basically pretty much single-handedly looked like he could win the series himself at times. There's a lot of pieces here to feel good about going forward. And and you're probably going to add Alexis Lafreniere to it, too. So, uh, you know, right. don't, don't hang your head too low. Classic Canuck luck, as we were talking <laughs> about last week, Tony, for uh, for Judd Brackett to walk into Minnesota and be handed the first overall pick. Wouldn't hate it. Wouldn't hate it for sure. And even even number nine, which is what they have, is is a is a pretty sweet uh, position to uh, to be in, considering what uh, what Brackett's done with uh, some of the top ten picks that he's had. I want to I want to go back to uh, to Vancouver and just kind of like touch on like what do you what do you think this series means for uh, for Vancouver? Going forward, I think it has to be pretty encouraging that they they got into uh, basically a dogfight, and you know, uh, you know, there were performances from guys like Tanner Pearson uh, who came up uh, pretty big with some huge goals. But at, at the same time, like I think that uh, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, uh, a lot of those young uh, Brock Besser, a lot of those young stars were the guys who uh, who powered them into the uh, the true first round of the playoffs that has to be encouraging well nasty too because the uh you know i thought the physicality the nastiness the hate between the two teams is what playoff series are all all about and for a team that you know going into this series the experience necessarily wasn't there you know the wild basically paled in comparison to the canucks in, in playoff experience that allowed them to wake up so now going forward they can kind of drive on that say you know we were in a dog fight it was physical it was nasty this is what playoff hockey is maybe they could take that forward yeah i think that applies to both teams joe you know uh that both teams are full of young players who needed some experience in games that matter really because the canucks year over year have bombed out kind of in the last two seasons or in the last two months of the season over the last two seasons uh it's been a routine thing kind of going back over the last five years that this team hasn't been in the playoffs that things will look good in the early part of the year but when play ramps up and playoff intensity in the lead up to playoffs begins this team just looks thoroughly outmatched and over its head against literally any opponent that's been the story year over year over year and I don't know about uh, the way things are in the Twin Cities necessarily, but in Vancouver, the market's been very split as a fan base in terms of what it wants for the future of this team, what's in the best interests of this group going forward, whether it's better to continue to bomb out and accumulate high draft picks and keep adding top 10 pick players to this core year over year, or if it's time for these guys to make the playoffs or at least be in the playoff hunt down the stretch to be playing games that matter 
in March is what we typically say, but at the moment it's playing games that matter in August, and uh, it is valuable, you know? Um, I've been kind of on the fence about that as well as someone who has been a big-time draftist over the last several seasons. I don't think the puzzle is complete in Vancouver, but I do think enough of the pieces are here that the time is right to be giving these guys playoff experience and watching them grow in these situations because as much as I would love to be adding... You know, whether it's the number one overall pick or even anywhere in the top 15 to this group uh, for the years going forward, I look at a situation like Edmonton, and obviously that's very unique because nobody is going to bungle anything as badly as Peter Shirelli did over the long term there, (laughs) except for maybe Paul Fenton, and he did it all in one year. Um, (laughs) But, like, you worry about the fact that if they continue to lose that that culture sets in and that the longer that that goes on, the harder it is to break out of it. So, yeah, I do think I am feeling very heartened about the fact that not only is this team getting valuable playoff experience, but you can see the kids evolving right in front of you. Elias Pettersson was very good in game one, but he got better and better as this series went along. Quinn Hughes as well, you know, was I thought maybe the best player on the ice even in game one, but he was undoubtedly fantastic just on another level in games three and four. And when you watch the guys build off of these experiences game to game to game, you have to feel heartened that this is for the best and that this is a good experience. And no matter what happens, even if you do lose out on first overall, even if Minnesota does add Alexi Lafreniere, and that would have been the Canucks pick because it's the exact same number in the lottery when things go down on Monday morning, mm-hmm. I I can't, I can't uh, in my head feel justified in wanting that number one overall pick over wanting these kids to continue to, to soak up this experience. At some point, you need to win, and you got a franchise. Uh, you, you have a franchise center in Elias Pettersson. You have a franchise defenseman in Quinn Hughes. Like, at, at some point, just, like, giddy up. Let's see what these guys can do. Um, I, I think that there is also that split in Minnesota, but, like, it, it if everything goes right, right, Minnesota might have a similar experience in, in maybe a roundabout way by this time next year, you know, uh, they're getting, uh, they're getting, you know, Kevin Fiala back. And, and I, I think if you're going to take away something uh, from a wild perspective, it's that Fiala was for real this, uh, this postseason. I think he really showed he was for real. And then you get Kirill Kaprizov next year. And, you know, maybe you do win that number one pick and you're bringing in a Lafreniere or a Byfield. And, you know, all of a sudden, like that's a, that's a pretty nice young core to have coming up with uh, with some of the secondary pieces like Erickson Eck and Luke Cunning, who uh, had a couple goals this season or this uh, this postseason, and, and Jordan Greenway. And and I mean, obviously, you guys know Minnesota a lot better than I do, so I shouldn't be telling you about your own team here. But no, uh, there there were people in Vancouver media who, as soon as this series was over last night. We're hopping on the radio and saying, well, Minnesota wasn't very good. And they haven't been a very good team, so we shouldn't be uh, reading too much into this. And maybe there is some truth to that in that goaltending wasn't necessarily a strength of the wild this year. Uh, and Alex Daylock is, is probably not the guy to lead you to the promised land over the long term. However, in every other capacity outside of netminding, 
the Wild were a juggernaut under Dean Evison this year. Uh, I really think people are sleeping on exactly how good they were as a possession team, as a team that dominated the flow of play, as a team that already has a very stacked defensive group, even if that bottom pairing depth got exposed by an injury to Ryan Suter in this series. You know, uh, I, I don't think you guys liked your chances a whole heck of a lot with Matt Bartkowski in the lineup for game four. Uh, but overall, like this is a team whose underlying numbers were incredibly strong. Some of the best in the league. And that is something that you can hang your hat on going forward. If Dean Evason is going to be the head coach of this team going forward, if you just address goaltending, you already have a team that should be in the top of the league right now. You're listening to Locked on Wild with special guest Justin Morissette from Locked on Canucks and Sportsnet 650. Uh, yeah, you know, you talked about goaltending and if the Wild, and we kind of been saying this pretty much all year, if the Wild could even just get av- league average goaltending. And that's like, I think this year was right around the 9-12 mark, which isn't great, by the way, but... They weren't getting that anywhere from Devin Dubnik. And if they can at least get that, this team can rattle off some wins. They play much better in front of a goaltender that they can trust. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, they, they take more chances because they feel like they can, they, can, they can maybe get away with that. So I think that just echoes kind of what we've been saying for a long time on this show, that goaltending is obviously an issue that, has to, that needs to be addressed uh, and it needed to be addressed for at least the last year and change well you know i just talked about the canucks needing to make a goaltending decision at one point uh maybe maybe whichever way they don't go maybe it's thatcher demko who is uh tending nets in minnesota before too long here we'll see um i do i did have a question for you now i'm trying to remember it here it was um regarding the 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 rebuild that jim benning has kind of done i i've seen some twitter retweets and stuff like that come through my timeline And there's people that are kind of after this win that are like, you know what? The Jim Benning rebuild was a success. See, we didn't need to completely bottom out. We didn't need to get the, 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 um, the first overall pick. And this is, you know, it's the retool has been, has worked. Are you going to declare that this was a success? No, not at all. (laughs) Not even close. Especially when the actual architect of this team's draft, the actual guy responsible for picking Pedersen and picking Quinn Hughes and picking uh, Pod Colson and, you know, who's not here yet but will be a year from now, and, and even picking Brock Besser where they selected him. Brock Besser was absolutely a Judd Brackett find and a Judd Brackett pick. Uh, you know, when the guy who is the real architect of this team's young core was just driven out of the organization not even a month ago, over nothing but professional jealousy by a general manager, an assistant general manager in John Weisbrod, who cannot stand that people actually know who is responsible for drafting good young players and in a market that's smart like Vancouver can actually credit the people who did that work. You know, they're driven mad by not receiving enough credit for having built this young team, which they backed into entirely by any accident. Like, the, the idea that, oh, we didn't have to bottom out. Well, you did bottom out. You were the second to worst team in the entire league over a four-year span, beating the Buffalo Sabres by one point in the cumulative standings over a four-year period. How is that not bottoming out? And they did that while spending to the cap and trying to assemble a team that was supposed to be competitive. These guys fluked into being awful 
by trying to be good. That is like the number one sign <laughs> that this is not something that went well and not something that you need to credit as mission accomplished because there are anchors all over this lineup, whether it's Tyler Myers, whether it is the Louis Erickson contract, even if I thought Louis actually played fantastic in this series and was a real feel-good story for Vancouver. He's still an albatross that hangs over this team. I feel good about him as a player. I feel awful about him as a contract. And that reflects badly on Jim Benning. Basically, every problem that this team currently has is a self-inflicted wound by this general manager. So no, I'm absolutely not going to say, well done, Jim Benning, mission accomplished. This team is succeeding in spite of you, and you just kissed your meal ticket goodbye when you pushed Judd Brackett out of the organization. And again, thank you. (laughs) I'm not mad about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just, you know, I don't know. It's so funny because this team the city has been divided between uh benning bros and uh they call us bitter bros i like to call us realists um but you know it's basically if you do not just think that everything that comes out of jim benning's ass is sunshine and rainbows you're a cynical negative problem and to people in this market apparently um and i don't think everything that jim's done has been bad you know i think the fact that he was able to turn eric goodbranson into tanner pearson is a huge win but you also have to be cognizant of the fact that he turned the 33rd overall pick and Jared McCann into <laughs> Eric Branson in the first place. You know, this team is on some levels a mess. Look, as, and if you want the... to contend with this young core going forward, the idea that Jim Benning should be allowed to be the guy to clean up the mess that he made is insane to me. As the ancient hockey Twitter saying goes, uh, even Paul Fenton got a Kevin Fiala. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, how do you guys feel at the end of all this? Because, I, you know, I really did feel like after game one in particular that there was a possibility that the Wild could just sweep Vancouver right out of this thing, that they were never going to find their feet and never get going. Obviously, that's not how it went. A perfect 3-0 and with Louis Erickson and Jake Vertanen in the lineup, uh, as we all expected. Um, but... Like, you know, I don't think that this should be doom and gloom for Minnesota fans on any level. Uh, I feel relieved, I guess. Um, you you had uh, you had this team that uh, that I, I didn't think was good enough. I think what makes uh, winning a, a, a series like uh, this for Vancouver special in a way that it wouldn't for Minnesota is that, like, it's the upward trajectory of a team. Even if you lose in the first round, um, you, you know, you're still, like, seeing some progression from this team in, in – uh, in a normal way, right? You get you get your young talent assembled. That young talent goes out and they uh, they learn some lessons and then uh, uh, they uh, they go on a run uh, eventually. Or uh, or you know even in the case of like Arizona or not Arizona sorry Colorado uh, last year, you know maybe that talent uh, gets together and goes off right away too. So like I think that that makes it special for Vancouver in a way that it wouldn't for Minnesota because they do need help. They don't have enough, even with Kaprizov coming in next year, even with Fiala. Uh, I, I think they need one more guy, um, at least one more guy, uh, in addition with, like, you know, the prospects that are going to be up in, in the next couple years or so. And, you know, being able to have that uh, ninth overall pick where you have a much better chance of getting that guy than you would at, I think, the 19th pick is where they would be 
had they uh, had they won the series and lost in the first round. I'm relieved that they get that um, and and an outside shot at, at number one overall. Uh, then uh, then you know I, I I I'm glad that they're getting that and and I've I've made peace with the loss. I don't know if it's necessarily relief that I'm feeling, but I do feel like this team has for a while now needed a retool. And I guess what I'm upset about is that the the high price guys that are being paid to perform in the postseason uh, really didn't show up. I think Matt Zuccarello was a complete boat anchor out there on the ice. He honestly, I forgot he existed until you just said his name right now. Yeah. I thought he was absolutely awful. I think the uh, the Galchenyuk idea. I think we were kind of floating like, hey, maybe he could offer something as a as a low level type bring in next year. As, he, as now that he's a free agent, that's completely out the window now. I thought he it was awful, awful, awful. The uh, the turnover at the blue line was terrible. Um, that uh, caused uh, what was it? The Roussel goal. Was it Roussel? Forget now. Yeah, yes. I think so. Um, but there's, there's just some pieces here that I think are, are, that you, that you look at go like, yeah, that's clearly a problem, but you look at Kevin Fiala, you look at Jules Eriksson, who I think had a fairly decent, uh, series. Um, I think you see guys like, um, like Luke Cunnan and, uh, even like Luke, Nick- Luke Cunnan was great. Honestly, like He's that fighting. guy, that <laughs> You know, as much as we talked about how good Tanner Pearson was for Vancouver, Luke Cunnan was the Tanner Pearson for Minnesota in this series. Yeah, I uh, I haven't been like huge on Luke Cunnan over the last couple of years, but uh, but I think he looked pretty good this series. And then uh, even even guys like Nico Sturm, who comes in in uh, was a game three, yep, ends up scoring his first NHL goal um, in game four, and just really was turning heads. I think among. Minnesota Wild fans and media personnel as well. Just, uh, you know, between Eric Sinek and Nico Sturm, you've got some guys in the bottom six that can fill in there for relatively cheap. And then you bring in Kaprizov next year. I think what you're seeing there is that there's some real good bones here. Goaltending still needs to be addressed. That was always going to need to be addressed. So I think I'm more encouraged a little bit by some of the things. Like I said, the big question coming in for me was, is Fiala really real? How are they going to run this offense? Love, obviously, I would have liked more of a balanced approach than just always relying on Fiala. But, you know, he took that and and basically tried to carry his that team to to wins, and he mostly did that, I think, through uh, games for definitely game one. And uh, Neil so, nearly forced overtime in game two, single handedly. Right, exactly. And so I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by some of the the younger players really stepping up. Um, and when it comes to the vets, I'm disappointed. So obviously those are going to need to be addressed. And and that's just going to have to take time now that they're assigned to, you know, no move clauses and things like that. So, yeah, the, uh, the vets, the vets big contributions amounted to uh, to uh, a handful of assists and uh, and some polo shirts. Is, is this the beginning, though, fellas, of a renewed rivalry between these two teams? Because. Rivalries obviously only really matter when they're born out of the playoffs. And I think this was probably the the biggest of all of the play-in series that were played and are still going on. I really do think that Vancouver and Minnesota, as much as we were talking earlier about the ways that 
Uh, officiating did not reflect what we expect from the, the playoffs. I thought the intensity and the physicality and the just general dislike between these two teams was at a playoff level in a way that I don't think other series were. They hated each other, and I think uh, I think what is is most encouraging on the rivalry front is that they hated each other uh, because in uh, in game one and, and beyond, but especially game one, uh, Minnesota harassed Elias Patterson. Patterson's twenty one; he's not going anywhere. I don't think he's going to stop hating the Wild anytime soon. And then Kevin Fiala is what twenty three, twenty four, and uh, and the same thing happened to him. I don't think Kevin Fiala is going to get over. Uh, the 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 treatment that he's had uh, with uh, with Vancouver anytime soon. So I think I think having like these young stars come up and hating each other at the same time uh, that rules. That's what we saw out of Colorado in the playoffs back in 2014, and uh, and that's held now that they're division rivals and Vancouver's not. But uh, this could be uh, this could be the start of like a low key. Uh, nice rivalry, especially, you know, if in the future they go back to the uh, one through eight playoff seating or maybe even, you know, down the road, meet each other in the conference finals a time or two. Because to me, after game one, uh, which I'm sure you guys loved because you won three nothing. I thought that game was dreadfully boring. Honestly, I came out of game one being like, oh, do I long for the days of Brad Bombardier and Willie Mitchell and Darby <laughs> Henderson? And Sergei Zoltok. Now those were villains. Those gave you some meat to glom onto. I just felt tremendously bored by game one, but by the end of game four, I'm sitting here being like, Ryan Hartman is a little bastard, and <laughs> I killed that guy. Uh, which you know you don't get from regular season matchups. It's not often that you know you are uh, just feeling so annoyed by guys on the other side and and even you know just yelling expletives when the team scores because you're just overjoyed with jubilation that's playoff hockey and uh, i really did feel it especially as this series rolled along i absolutely thought it delivered on nastiness like like you mentioned we didn't really see that in the other play in games as much and for i guess even if the, if the media was going to try to force some sort of rivalry between the two teams going back to 2003 uh, and really the old Northwest division, there really isn't, I think there's two players on the team currently that uh, were even around in the last time that they really faced each other with any real, I said, actually, I think I, I did it since the, uh, the Oland incident. There's only two players. It's Miko Koivu and, um, and I'm drawing, I'm blanking on the other. No, no, no. It was uh, for the Canucks. Ed, oh. It was Edler. That's who it was. Edler. Edler. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, I mean, you look at it and it's just like, so are they really going to force this? But no, they, it really delivered. I thought uh, I thought there was a lot of uh, players that you could hate on both sides. Like, I can't stand Brandon Sutter. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I. And he plays for my team. So there we have that in common. He's a big damn jerk. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, He's I thought... so slow and expensive, and I mean, if he can have a four-month layoff before the playoffs every year, then maybe he can be useful. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not a Sutter guy. For some reason he always scores against the Minnesota Wild. I don't get it. Uh, and uh, I, I guess I enjoyed that bit of it. Uh, there were post uh, whistle scrums and, and I think the only part of that that you were missing was uh, the the crowd roars when those would ha- when those would break out but 
you know, there were there were fights, there was nastiness, there was hard checks, there was dirty checks on both sides that I think that uh, it it really felt like a playoff series that I don't think we necessarily saw from some of the other ones. And I I guess for anything, I would have liked to see a little bit longer of overtime <laughs> game four. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the greatest example of the dislike that built up between these teams over the course of these four games is uh, something that I've talked about a lot uh, over the course of these play-in games and even going back into uh, some of the the uh, the exhibition game and even the uh, the scrimmages that they were playing in camp before even the exhibitions, uh, you know, is all the cursing on the ice, which you don't hear on the broadcast because the NHL has put a five-second delay on on-ice audio. Oh, that's what any- happened. And anytime someone swears, they hit a button that, like, makes time flow backwards so you'll hear everything in reverse to cover up the cursing i call it cursing reversing um and we were hearing that like crazy in game four at a distracting level that was at a higher rate than i had seen in any other game that i've worked over the course of the last little while and i work a lot of out of market games as well as far as radio broadcasts go it's not just canucks games uh, you know, you, you even when the goals were scored last night, you would hear the goal horns going in reverse. Like everything <laughs> was was going backwards constantly. And I brought this up uh, during one of the commercial breaks on the broadcast, and uh, our color guy Corey Hirsch. Uh, smartly pointed out that, you know, because I'm just thinking about this from a broadcast perspective. I'm like, this is ruining our broadcast of the game (laughs) because all of the rink sounds sound like that Missy Elliott song that goes backwards um, or like, you know, Yvonne at Niage from The Simpsons or whatever. Uh, Like, that's kind of what I felt like I was being subjected to. And Corey uh, rightly pointed out, that shows you where the dislike is at between these teams because you cannot get through a single stoppage in play without hearing like a million F-bombs, apparently. I want to play the, the, the broadcasts backwards now, like rock and roll <laughs> records from the 70s. <laughs> the subliminal messaging on uh, Ozzy Osbourne records. <clears throat> uh, I do have a question, and I know that for Vancouver, it's not over mm-hmm. yet inside the Edmonton bubble, but overall with what you, we've watched this week, and we've kind of seen what the uh, the NHL has for production value to kind of continue this play inside of this bubble. What's been your overall thoughts on just kind of how the uh, the, the the NHL has gone about this? Because I actually I will say that when I'm watching a game that I don't really have like a vested interest in, like I I kind of notice the fact that there isn't really much of a crowd. Uh, because I don't really feel like the emotional points of the game nearly as much. But when I was watching the Minnesota Wild versus the Vancouver Canucks, I hardly noticed I, the difference. And maybe that's just because, like I said, I, I'm I'm interested in it. But You're invested over- in Minnesota. Exactly. But I'm just wondering, what do you think about how the NHL has pulled this off so far? Obviously, I, I don't think – I think the last release that we've had, uh, no COVID-19 positive tests – uh, so it seems like they're doing the right thing. And then just in production value alone for the games uh, on a neutral site like they have, how do you how do you think that's been? Uh, well, I'm glad that you brought this up because you've given me a window to address something that's been bugging me right 
from the beginning of this series going all the way back to game one almost a week ago now that I've yet to bring up anywhere, even on Twitter. So thank you for allowing me this platform to uh, talk about one of the things in game presentation that drove me insane through this entire series. You know how you have those giant LED screens that, you know, they put up the player who scored after a goal or whatever, but for the most part, those screens are just showing the team logo of whoever's team end it is that the, that, that screen is hanging over. Um, you guys probably noticed this, and maybe this drove you insane as well. Why was the NHL trying to convince me all series long that the Minnesota Wild's primary color is yellow? There was so much <laughs> neat yellow all over that screen. Uh, what is up with it? It's such a small element of the logo. It's not a color that exists anywhere on any of the jerseys, I don't think. Like you don't you guys don't have like gold trim on your jerseys, do you? No, uh, no, it's it's literally just the sun in the primary crest of the logo. Yes, and yet on that LED screen, to look at that screen, you would think that the Wild's primary color was yellow and their <laughs> secondary color was green. Drove me insane. What the hell? Uh, but, but other than that, uh, I thought they did very well. You know, it kind of looks like a video game at times. Uh, the LED setup kind of, you know, maybe looks like the staging of WrestleMania a little bit. Uh, but in the conditions that they have been given, it is so much easier to make a sport like basketball look normal because your cameras are so much closer to the action and, and along the court. Whereas, like rinkside camera angles don't really exist in hockey. It's hard to uh, stage hockey for television in a way that doesn't expose so much blank space. And in the early going, certainly, I felt like uh, a lot of like the tarps that were covering the seating areas were very distracting to me, but it's something that I've come to notice less and less as time goes on. And maybe, you know, just even as a viewing audience, we need to adapt to what we're seeing and sort of uh, adjust to this as a new normal. I personally loved the rig cam that I w- that had that higher level uh, view of the, yes. of the rink, uh, especially on the power play. I love that view. I love it. I, I love it. Have it all the time. Yeah. Oh, I fully agree. I mean, it does feel like a video game there, but when you want to really get into the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts of like systems and X's and O's, like that is the perfect angle for me. Yeah, to see how the play is developing, because that's the number one thing that you lose in hockey from, you know, watching it live to watching it on television, right? Is that you are only being exposed to what's in the frame at any given time. So why not give your viewing audience the the angle that gives you the most in the frame of what's going on at any given time? And as for like, I don't know, I thought that they tried to do some of the home elements for each team. But I thought for the most, outside of like the anthem singers, I didn't really notice it too much. Well, that's, again, to me, I'm like, yes, it's good that you're trying to play the goal songs that are unique to every team. But is there any point to this when I have to hear it flipped backwards every time it plays? You know, yeah. uh, every two seconds, it's flipping in reverse. So I don't know. It To me, I just uh, maybe mute the mics a little bit if you know guys <laughs> are going to swear after goals and after penalties and whatnot. Like, we know the times where that talk is coming, especially for a goal song and goal horns. Let me hear that sound naturally, please, for the love of God. 
<laughs> I say just let it, just open it up and let it happen. Yeah, I mean, put it on a pay per view feed. Uh, honestly, that's. I mean, we saw w- what happened after uh, the Capitals won the cup. Uh, <laughs> like that was on broadcast TV for crying out loud. We don't really need to worry about language at this point, do we? No, I don't think so. But um, they're worried, I guess, about families tuning out if we hear, uh, you know, a, a stray here. NHL after dark. <laughs> yeah, they should. I mean, it's it's after 10 o'clock at night anyways, and nobody, no kid is up actually watching it. Yeah, the game started for you guys at 10.02 the other night. That's prime so what are they worried games. about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's probably going to do it for us here on Locked on Wild. Justin, we appreciate you showing up. Uh, any last things you want to plug? Uh, not really. If you guys would like to follow along as the Canucks continue their their drive into the postseason, uh, whether they're playing against Dallas or uh, St. Louis, we don't exactly know yet. But if you hate either of those teams and want to uh, get a Vancouver perspective on hopefully beating them, you can follow along on Locked on Canucks. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you like professional wrestling. I host a radio show every Sunday night called Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650, and we take calls from right across the continent. So maybe you'd be interested in that too. I wouldn't mind seeing a ladder match at Center Ice one of these times. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how they're going to hand out the cup, really. If, <laughs> if, if any COVID outbreaks actually go down and we have to get real creative with how we just ter- determine a winner here, I think uh, there'll be like an eight man ladder match with a representative from each team, something like that. <laughs> All right, Tony, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at OhHiTony. You can find my work at 10krinks.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JoeBoo15. That's J-O-E-B-O-U-1-5. As well as all my work at 10krinks.com. Before we go, fellas, I just want to say what a pleasure it has been talking with you guys about this series over the last week. Uh, I know our teams are supposed to hate each other, but... I think you are very nice boys, and it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Aw, thanks. We think you're nice too, Justin. It's easier for me to say that because my team won. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and we're not we're not out there cross-checking and face-washing each other either. Like, I suppose if we were... Uh, I suppose if we had those kind of shenanigans going on, uh, it, it might be a different story, but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send a virtual face-wash just so that we have some nastiness. <laughs> <laughs> This is big boy podcasting. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna cross check a picture of you and, and just uh, have a blank expression on my face as I walk away. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. I hope I've given you some dartboard material to think about over the off season. Here. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it, Justin. Um, that's gonna do it for us today on Locked On Wild. If you liked today's show, please hit subscribe so your device sends it to you every time there's a new episode without having to do any work. Please leave a review and a rating on whatever podcast service you use. It does help us get found by wild fans such as yourself. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. Just look up at Locked on Wild. You can also get in touch with us via email. Just email us at LockedOnWild at gmail.com. Please support our sponsors because they support us. Thank you for listening to Locked on Wild. Be sure to check us out every Monday through Friday to stay on top of everything revolving around your Minnesota Wild every day.